It takes more than great code to be a great engineer. This is episode 61 of the Soft Skills Engineering Podcast. I am your host, Jameson Dance. And I'm your host, Dave Smith. Soft Skills Engineering is a podcast where we answer your non-technical questions about the technical field of software development. Uh, And sometimes we read funny stories from listeners. Like today. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we asked for for people to write in with stories about uh, bad interviews. <laughs> and um, we've gotten some good ones. This one's actually pretty funny. So here it goes. This is from a listener named Ryan. Ryan writes, back when I was looking for my current job, I was actively interviewing with three or four companies. I had a phone interview scheduled one afternoon, but didn't make it home before it happened. As a result, I was navigating the busy streets of New York City while fielding complicated computer science questions like, why do you want to work here? <laughs> i didn't particularly care about this company but i embarked upon what i hoped was an enthusiastic sounding answer complete with details of what i liked about their product as i brought my beautiful speech to a close i wasn't exactly expecting applause but i was surprised at the complete silence on the other end of the phone after a few seconds i ventured this isn't acme computer company is it them nope me well this is awkward (laughs) this is awkward uh i also super like your company you do neat things too in fact um who is this (laughs) needless to say that conversation ended quite abruptly and i never heard from them again i'm sure i'm sure had oh sorry i'm sure had your podcast existed back then I'd never had made such a silly mistake. Thank you for all your wisdom and jokes. Please never die. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Thanks, Ryan. <laughs> oh, on the phone with the wrong company. Yep. Your company your company is so cool. Also, now who is this? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we are a popular competitor to Acme Computer Company. Yeah. <laughs> working to destroy them. Also, if you didn't notice, we substituted Acme Computer Company for the real company. They didn't even tell us what it was. Actually, so. yeah, they wrote Acme. <laughs> so maybe it was Acme. <laughs> All right. We also have a follow-up story. Um, hello, you answered my question a couple of weeks ago about changing from a development role to a product owner role. And which manager should I approach first? I just wanted to give you an update. I approached my current manager first, and he was very supportive, so much that he proposed, and I agreed that we would try this by me doing product owner work for him. This is a bit of a departure from where I traditionally... Uh, this is a bit of a departure since traditionally all the POs report to someone else. Thus, my initial question to you. So far, it's working out really well. Having a foot in both worlds, I'm allowed to attend training. I am involved in the PO group meetings, but have been able to stay with my current manager, who I really like working for, and expand my REUs, which is an acronym that stands for Resume Extension Units, <laughs> um, that I'm assuming is a standard unit now. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for your help and love the show. <laughs> oh, that's cool. awesome. So once again, talking to people early and often, Works out great. Yeah, it sounds like it did. Congratulations. That sounds that sounds great. Let's dive into our first question. Okay. I'm just going to take charge and read it because that's the kind of person I am. Can do. Okay. Take charge. Type A. Read question. <laughs> what should engineers know about product management? Short and sweet. Short and sweet. This comes from listener Richard. Oh, yeah. I forgot that part. Sorry, Richard. I denied you your glory. Yep. Denied. Glory denied. I I actually really like this question because it indicates that you think that it's a good idea to know stuff about product management and you don't just think they're 
the enemy or people whose job it is to make your job harder. Or, mm -hmm. I don't know. Sometimes <laughs> there can be this adversarial thing that is usually resolved by understanding what other people actually do. Right, right. Have you ever worked with someone you would consider a really good product manager? Yes. What made the product manager you liked? What What made you like them? Um, there have been a few actually that I liked. And I realize in hindsight that one of my favorite product managers to work with, I liked them not necessarily because I understood or appreciated how good of a product manager they were, but because they were able to communicate with me effortlessly. And in this case, the PM had been an engineer in the past, so he had no problem communicating with me in my language, on my terms. You know, he just fully came to my court and did all the talking in ways that I could understand. And so, and he understood me when I talked back. So it was like, no, no problem. Right. And that to me made him a great product manager, but really that's just one very small dimension of a big role as product manager. So yeah, I would, I think now with a little more years under my belt, I look back and I say, he, that product manager was good at communicating with me. Were they a good product manager? I actually don't know. I don't think I observed. <laughs> I, I don't think I observed enough um, different facets of their job to to make that conclusion. I mean, since the world is centered around you, the fact that they communicated <laughs> well with you, I think, means that they are a good product manager. <laughs> they must be good at everything else. Yeah. Well, there is nothing else. Also, really good at tennis and uh, pretty, pretty much anything. <laughs> yeah. Since I've never been a product manager, I actually asked a couple product managers I've worked with what they thought developers should know about their job. And I got some interesting responses. A lot of it kind of came down to empathy, um, that developers are great at developer stuff, and sometimes they don't look at the, the context or scope that their great developer work happens in. Um, and, and if you understand like all the different requirements the product manager is juggling or the reason why there are deadlines or the reason why there are these things that seem unrealistic, then um, like they both the people I talked to said they really like it when developers really understand the business stuff and then push back. Um, but they also really hate it when developers just kind of knee jerk say like, oh, that's hard or oh, that's stupid. Okay. So they, they like it when they understand the business stuff and push back, but they don't like it when they don't understand the business stuff and push back, but they're going to be pushing back, <laughs> right? Like either way. Well, yeah, that's, that's a part of life. And, and I think, yeah, that came up too, that they recognize that healthy pushback over product direction is, is I think sometimes you can be afraid to do that. And these people both said they really liked it. Oh, they were they weren't like cool. mad. Okay, so in other words, pushing back to them is considered like neutral ground and normal, but to a developer it might be really scary. Yeah. Well, especially pushing back when you understand like, like if a product manager comes in and says this feature must exist or the company will cease to exist, and a developer's like, but it's gonna make our code so unclean. <laughs> <Yeah>. Like <laughs> that's kind of the degenerate case, but but that's that's how I think without a lot of effort, that's how a lot of technical objections can come across to product managers. Yeah. So you, you have to, like you said, Dave, this product manager communicated with you really well. Either the product manager needs to draw that information out of the developer and, and figure out like, okay, they have these technical objections I don't understand. I need to make them make sense to me. Or the developer needs to make the effort to couch them in terms the product manager understands. Yeah. What else did you get from your PM friends? 
Here's a direct quote. You may not care about what they care about, but you should. If they seem unreasonable, try to understand them and their motivations and give them what they want and need. Hmm. Uh, or just work for a company that doesn't have them. <laughs> <laughs> Those do exist, by the way. Yeah, they. I mean, yeah, there's no defined role. I mean, the work gets done somehow. Yeah, someone's going to manage the product. <laughs> yeah. Might be some ones. Yeah, mob, mob product management. Yeah, what else did I get here? Help them understand how simple design changes can save lots of dev time. Okay. Yeah, that's that's oh, another thing. Okay. Uh, they'll kind of hand over a feature, and developers can sometimes be mad that it's like such a stupid, finicky thing that takes forever to implement. That's I think that's a concrete example of the case where giving good feedback is really important and understanding like they don't care about this like fancy three D drag and drop animation they just want this basic functionality and that was how it was designed but mm -hmm. if you can do it in an hour without that then then that's way more valuable so oh man that reminds me of a, a feature that some pms and ux designers developed at our last or designed at my last company and we had this app it was a it was a web app and it was getting slower and slower it was it had like sometimes multi-second latency in the UI where you would click something and it would take a couple seconds for it to take effect. And they wanted to do this like slick drag and drop thing where you could drop things onto these big tables and have them update. And I was like, oh boy, <laughs> this is not going to work. And so I pushed back really hard. And um, in the end, we built it without drag and drop. And uh, it was like the drag and drop idea was perfectly good, but given the context of how slow our app already was, we would have to go and spend months like improving the performance of the thing before we could build something fancy like drag and drop. And it's like, hmm. that's context they didn't really have. They didn't really appreciate the slowness and what drag and drop, how bad the drag and drop experience would be if the UI was totally laggy. Yeah. Which kind of sucks actually as a developer. Cause sometimes you have to air your dirty, dirty laundry, you know, like in this case, like, Hey, we built the app, but it's really slow. So we can't do this cool thing you want to do because, yeah, yeah, because we suck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, sorry about how we suck, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to have to push back. <laughs> so what else you got? What else do I got? A lot of this I'm realizing is, uh, context based on our work together. I'm not sure how generalizable it is. I mean, here's one thing. Product management is different everywhere. Just like development is different everywhere. Okay. Um, there are some unifying themes, but, but I don't think there's one way to do project management or product management i guess i do think there's one unifying theme uh between every company that has someone with a title of product manager and that is that they have to do way too much stuff you, you know what i mean like have you every product mm. manager i've met it's like they interface with everyone in the whole company and yeah and yet it's their job to like synthesize the entire company's brain and produce the correct product somehow even though they don't have direct control over building that product and yeah. they're overridden all the time by other stakeholders like let's say the CEO <laughs> you know or the developers or the developers who say this is too hard it'll yeah. take 6 months you know they get banged around like a pinball and yet they have their when it goes bad it's their fault right <laughs> it's like universally a very hard job that's why i don't do it that's right i don't i don't do hard things Yep. <laughs> that's, that's our family credo. <laughs> we don't do hard things. <laughs> one, one other piece of feedback was, I don't want to be a feature factory, 
But if engineering doesn't track and prior prioritize technical debt and platform work and mm. performance work, then I don't know how to plan it. That's right. Just because you can see the technical debt and all the other crap you have to deal with doesn't mean they can. Yeah, so you kind of have to make it fit into the into the project management tooling and workflow because mm -hmm. no one's going to ever make a Trello card that's like, I don't know, fix this long method or something. White space fixes. <laughs> yeah, not no one, but but it won't generally come up in the project management workflow. Yeah, exactly. What's what is going to come up is revenue driving features. And yep. that's the only thing that's going to come up pretty much by default. And I think there yeah. there there's one other class of things that as developers we have to push back on product managers sometimes, which is hey, let's readdress the way that we did things. In other words, we're not going to build new features. We're going to go back and see if what we built was done the right way and is working well. And you would think that product managers would have that on their radar, but I think that's actually pretty rare. I think they're usually focused on hitting the new stuff, developing new features that can sell product, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that sells to everyone, to customers, to internal people. Mm -hmm. Oh, there was this blog post I read once that I am going to misquote because I can't find it. But it was about how this company, they did that. They went back and measured feature usage and they realized that most of the features in their app were just not used yeah. at all. Yeah. <laughs> and and they've looked at how much time went into developing those and then cried sad tears. I, saw, I think they ended up pulling out a bunch of them. Oh, interesting. I saw a yeah. joint research project by Microsoft and I think Amazon where they came to the conclusion, this is out on the internet, they came to the conclusion that like, one third of features they had built gave no customer value and another third actually hurt the customer experience. And then the final third was actually valuable to the customer. And it was like, so in other words, two thirds of the things that developers built either did not help or hurt the customer experience. But you only see that if you go back and, and research it. And, and by the way, when that kind of thing comes up, who do they blame? <laughs> <laughs> it's the product managers. The product manager. <laughs> Every time. Yeah. What about I've I've been uh waffling between saying product and project management. Yeah, I've what about that. the distinction between those two? I, think I feel like they they merge together a little bit, but they're still kind of separate. I think product managers often do project management, but I think project managers very rarely do product management. Mm. So in other words, product managers are responsible not just for like planning the work. They're usually not they shouldn't be totally responsible for that. They're usually responsible for deciding what's going to be built, how it's going to work, uh, understanding the sales impacts, understanding the support impacts, you know, designing the right um, tracking and metrics and all that stuff. Project managers usually focus on execution. In other words, are we are we on track for our delivery dates? Um, are our dependencies all lined up so that teams can ship at the right times and with the right stuff? And I think like in a sufficiently large company, you'll have project managers who just track that stuff and raise flags when things, you know, dependencies are missing. And you'll have product managers whose job is to design what's going to get built next. That's how I see it. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, anything else we want to say on this topic? I think that it's, I think we can't overstate enough that you can really work well with a product manager if you appreciate all the different inputs that they have in their job and try to get them to share with you as much as they can. For example, when a product manager shows up and says, we need to build these next 10 features, I think it's really important for developers to say, great, why? What's the customer impact? What What's the value? 
Um, you know, is this going to be for more sales? Is this going to be to help internal teams? You know, what is that? And understand end to end why the product manager came to that conclusion. Um, I think that's really, really important. And also understand that the product managers have more information than you have. They meet with more people. They take data from more sources. And it is their job to share that with you. But just because they haven't shared it with you doesn't mean they don't have it. Yeah, I, I'm thinking of a couple things that have happened in, in my career that gave me a lot more empathy for project Sorry, I keep saying it. <laughs> they gave me a lot more empathy for product managers. And they were all around meeting more with customers or being around the sales process mm-hmm. or being in meetings where they presented to key stakeholders, to, to use the businessy terms. Mm-hmm. And then you see, like you said, Dave, all the different inputs and outputs that they deal with. And you realize that the world is a lot broader than like which key value store do you pick? <laughs> to put your relational data in (laughs) (laughs) or whatever uh so i think that's the meta point that you can be greatly you you can work a lot more effectively with product people Mm -hmm. if you understand what they do a little bit better and and they love it when developers show interest in that in my experience yes but you have to do it delicately like you have to show them that you trust them and you have to earn their trust as well if they discover that you're hedging or withholding information because you don't want to do something but there's not any good reason for it besides you just don't want to do it um and you play some weird political card or something you can oh, you really just say sour. words they don't i don't you just say like cyclomatic <laughs> complexity and that's your trump card <laughs> exactly <laughs> you can't do it it'll it'll ruin our cyclomatic complexity <laughs> exactly like if you start pulling that kind of crap um you're going to lose trust with product managers and i think this is a relationship where trust is really important between product yeah. managers and engineers because you're both going to be pretty vulnerable here like pro- for example if you want to get time to fix your broken crap or your buggy code or your badly designed functions then you need to be able to tell the product manager that you have these things and be able to trust that they're not going to throw you under the bus and be like well we should fire that engineer because they wrote technical debt <laughs> you know <laughs> <laughs> so definitely trust i think is a huge part of it and and also i think engineers have some some engineers have this tendency to take an elitist mentality toward product managers where they think that they should, like we've kind of joked about, they are the center of the universe and everything should revolve around them. And when a product manager comes to them with market data and they push back because that's not compatible with our awesome key value store that we chose last week. <laughs> um, Sorry, we can't do joins, so we're not going to do that. Yeah. Feature. <laughs> but that, I mean, that sounds silly, but it's basically in line with what we sometimes do, right? Like, Yep. I want to say I'm not guilty of this, but I probably am. Oh, I, I know for sure I've done this before. And that came up in the feedback from the product from the product managers I talked to also. Um, treat them with respect. They're human like you. They were like, they, Jameson, they this is needs actually... and motivations. And... <laughs> this is not for the podcast. This is for you. <laughs> Please know that I am human. Treat me with respect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. We have answered this question. There you go. Question answered. Okay, this next question comes from a listener named Dave, and it's about managing notifications. Uh, Not you, though. It's a different Dave. Yeah, a different Dave. Mm-hmm. Um, so Dave doesn't ask a question. He just propo- he just poses a funny situation. Well, funny or tragic, whichever you <laughs> think. Okay, you're sitting at your computer. Here's the situation. First, an email notification appears. You open your email client. Then you get a Slack notification that says, I just sent you an email. Then... <laughs> There's a voice from behind your desk saying, did you see my Slack message? <laughs> <laughs> How do you then deal with this? You are hitting the head with a Nerf missile 
fired from your company provided Nerf guns. Because you had your headphones on. Because you had your headphones on. Hey, I, you weren't responding to my stuff, so I had to shoot a Nerf <laughs> gun at you. To get your attention. Thanks to the open office, though, there's no obstructions in between, so it was yes. a really easy shot. Yeah, I didn't even have to ricochet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I think this listener just summed up my whole life. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've been in this situation. Well, I have been this person, though. I've been, like, shooting Nerf missiles at people's heads before and... Have you literally done that? Hey, when you? Hey, yeah. Did you ever play the old Zelda games where they had the fairy that was like, "Hey, listen." Oh yeah, and that on the N sixty four. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I wonder if I could go change everyone's Slack notifications to that noise because <laughs> it it just has this connotation of like, "Hey, this thing that you don't care about that's not important at all, but is still going to be really annoying." I have a habit of feeling like my questions are more urgent than they are sometimes. Oh, for sure. For sure. And yeah. it becomes obvious to me when I take, when I get distracted, but like, say I want to ask a question of someone, I feel like it's really urgent and then something else interrupts me. And then I come back to that question like three hours later and I'm like, oh, oh, I guess it wasn't that urgent. <laughs> like there, <laughs> here it is. Are you like, don't care as you don't even yeah. care enough to ask yeah, exactly, anymore? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, it's amazing what yeah. a little time will do. <laughs> yep. <laughs> We should, yeah, we I've should been have, on both ends. okay, we should build a system where all questions and communication go through like a 10 minute, like cool down period. And then you have to actively go click a button to, to really deliver them after the 10 minute mark, or they just get deleted. I think there's email plugins like that, but they're usually to avoid drunk sending emails oh. or <laughs> sending rage filled emails. Same solution, two different problems. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I believe they call those fake time solu- or fake time systems as opposed fake to real time. time. Oh, fa- <laughs> yeah. Oh man. What if we just slow all, all our communication down by ten minutes? Yeah. Sounds like an easy sales process. Oh yeah. I hate and love these kind of things. I I actually, my brain is conditioned to respond to them because I want to help people. Mm-hmm. I respond instantly. I'm on Slack. Mm-hmm. with my phone or my computer probably yeah i would say maybe there's an hour or two out of the day when i'm awake that i'm not around a device that mm-hmm. gives me slack notifications that much huh yeah yeah i either have my phone or my computer with me the whole time i'm awake and if i see one no, no, I, I, mean, I almost always respond what, right away what i'm saying is there's o- there's a whole hour or two hours where you're oh. not by one of your devices that gives you these notifications. yeah it's, that's a lot it's pretty much dinner time and putting the child to bed Oh, really? Yep. You don't read Slack while you're putting your child to bed? That's, those are our <laughs> bedtime stories. <laughs> <laughs> the tale of the overflowed buffer. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I, I am also like that. I feel this compulsive need to respond, whether it's email, Slack, anything. If someone has reached out to me, I will respond, darn it. And I hate it about myself. And I don't know how to fix it. I think we are the same in that we're both people pleasers in this way and people have problems or questions and we want to help and it feels powerful to be able to help people, right? Mm-hmm. You have the answers or you have the solution or you can unstick mm-hmm. someone mm-hmm. and and then you attract more questions and, and then, more notifications. And then they say these wonderful things like, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Or like, <laughs> or, or Dave's the guy you go to when stuff's broken and nobody knows what's going on because he'll always respond. 
And then I always play this. Shoves his child off his lap. <laughs> Get out of my way. I need my laptop to go here. <laughs> and then I put on the soundtrack. We need a hero. <laughs> We're holding out for a hero. To the yeah. So I think there are powerful motivations on the part of the question asker and the answerer that lead to this behavior happening. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen it? Well, how do I ask this question? I don't think it's a question. I think it's just a statement. Um, my first job out of college, I worked with a guy named Sean Hess, who's really smart and really awesome and has like the good kind of crazy ideas. Um, (laughs) he's, he's good for me to be around because he's, he's on the cutting edge of everything like life. I don't know the food he eats, but anyways, one of the things that we talked about was asynchronous communication, which was new to me at that point. And, and I think that's the only place that I've really seen it enforced where there, you just didn't tap people on the shoulder. Um, the messaging software we used was, was really crappy and didn't have good notifications. So like feature, not bug. Yeah. By, by default, it was really hard to interrupt someone, um, and stuff still got done. And we all worked in uh, the same building together. So if you needed to, you could just go talk to somebody if it was a real emergency, but most of the time for questions that came up, you would just ask. And there was a really strong culture of, of waiting until you're at a good stopping point to answer. And, Mm -hmm. um, that went, that, that kind of filtered through to everyone uh, from Sean because that was a value he really, really strongly espoused and taught to people. And how did he, and, how did he like indoctrinate the culture with this value? Um, just every new hire. And then... So um, like if someone tapped him on the shoulder, did he just flip out? No, 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 no. He didn't flip out. He, he would just be like, is this, I don't know, is this an emergency? Did he have like a form you had to fill out? no please he did rate, not have a form please rate the he urgency did. of this issue no 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 it, <laughs> it wasn't a scary thing at all it was just like a uh he demonstrated that he didn't i don't know that most things weren't emergencies and and he would get to you and he, he always did get back too mm-hmm. um at, mm-hmm. at a reasonable time but he just valued his own productivity a lot there there are people in the world who i've noticed don't respond to notifications in a timely way and also don't respond to many of my queries, like just a handful of people. And I wonder if they're happier. <laughs> <laughs> I think. I mean, they're happier because they're too good for you. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe, maybe there's like a law of conservation of notification responses where I am over responding. So they have to make up for it by under responding. Yeah. I, I think famous people. There are developer famous people that just can't respond to all their emails or Mm -hmm. whose Twitter notifications tab is always a nightmare Mm because they just have hundreds of thousands of of people that want to talk to them. And so they have to develop this skill by default. But then if you're not famous, uh, it it almost feels like the trappings of fame when someone wants to talk to you. It's like, I'm important. And then you're, yeah, it's that incentive to respond to it. Mm, Interesting. Well, so here's basically my answer to this question is I suck at this so bad and I respond to everything and I sit there with my email client and my chat client open and waiting to notify me and interrupt me and I will stop pretty much anything I'm doing to respond to your emails and chats and then I just basically work all night to make up for the lost time and and then I'm just miserable and tired. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the secret to your success. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) Yeah, how many... 
do you think you could count the ways that people could send you notifications right now? I'm trying um, to count. Okay, email. Do, does does Slack count as one or like thirty if you're in thirty Slack teams? I think you should count the teams. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm in. I'm on probably five or six Slack teams. Work email, personal email, uh, internal work chat, and then in-person interruptions, text messages, cell phone calls. So I think I'm pushing like ten there if you count my Slack teams. Yeah, that's that's about. Yeah, that's pretty similar. So e- uh, so so even if you well, only get like two per channel per day, that's still twenty interruptions a day. That's crazy. So what to do about it? I think this situation is pretty common to everybody. I hear. I think this is the common complaint. What do you do about it? So you you want to change? You want other people to change how they interact so with you? I, also, I think for me the hardest thing to let go of is that uh, responsiveness. I want people to know that I saw their message, and I want people to know when I'm going to respond. So one of the things that I wish I could do is have some kind of autoresponder that says, "Hey." I got your email. It's in my inbox. I won't forget it. And I'll get back to you, but it'll be within two hours. If you need something sooner than that, you know, call me or whatever, you know, that'd be really cool if you could do that. If your email client could do that automatically and not show you notifications, like you say, look, for the next two hours, I'm going to be in the zone working on something heads down, auto respond to my emails and, uh, or something that might just get annoying though for the other people. I don't know. Yeah, it's like you want to strike this balance between being helpful and seeming like a diva. Like Exactly. Can you jump through these hoops to approach the throne? Then you are worthy <laughs> of my help. Right, and I hate that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and for most people, I mean, real, real celebrity type people who get an overwhelming amount of stuff have to have some kind of process like that. Yeah. Um, but for most people, it's more like, just delay everything and you'll get back to it. You don't have to yeah. say, I can only answer the important stuff. And once in a rare while, I will simply delete emails and say, look, if it's important, they'll write back. You know, like in the, yeah. in the same way that you say to yourself, I sat on that question for three hours and now it doesn't even seem important anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that same way, you could just put that onus on others and then you'll be less of a people pleaser, but it is pretty normal actually. That's actually my strategy for dealing with errands, which is why um, I was like a year and a half behind on my registration on one of my vehicles once. It <laughs> <laughs> doesn't work out perfectly all the time uh, for real life adult <laughs> stuff. <laughs> the IRS doesn't like it if you delete their emails and throw away their letters and say, if it's mm. important, they'll get back to me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think people respond so this is the default culture of interruption and notifications and and i don't i think changing that is a broader question if you change your behavior then people will adapt to that and that's the harder problem for me personally is i i do respond i have a bunch of little numbers sitting on all my slack teams right now and then Mm -hmm. i go check them all off i click on all the channels and all the teams and yeah so so i think if you just change your habits people will respect that and if people tap you on the shoulder and you're in the middle of something you can just politely explain like hey um if it's not an emergency i'll get back to you in a second yeah i'm in the middle of something and it it takes a while to get back into it i mean you have to be careful to not come off condescending or superior or rude but also i believe in you when it comes to slack and other things like that i will go through and aggressively downgrade the notification priority 
on you different channels. To. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. it's just spam, nonstop spam. And and yeah. you'd be surprised at how many different settings a lot of these applications will have. Slack is really good, but even your email app, you know, it's like maybe it should, ha- maybe you should turn off the uh, desktop pop-up notifications on that, you know, and that's usually possible. Yep. That's, I mean, that's more work too, especially if you're in a bunch of channels on a bunch of teams. Sure, that's sure. Just quit Slack. It, quit the program. <laughs> Cold turkey. That actually <laughs> yeah. is true. You could just shut down the app. Well, but yeah, no, I was being serious. Buzz. Just, <laughs> yeah, but just throw your phone in the toilet. I don't know. I No, I actually, so this is an important thing. I, I remember when I got my smartphone for the first time, I don't know, eight or 10 years ago, and it was like, it will ding in my pocket every time someone sends me an email. Every time. And I was like, this is awesome <laughs> at first, right? I thought it was wonderful. <laughs> I'm like, think about how responsive I can be now. Like, I'm taking Hero to the next level. And I remember that lasted for about a month. And finally, I was like, okay, I'm going to switch to a polling model where I will check my email when I want to check it. And I won't even let little numbers show up on my home screen. It'll just be when I go to my email and swipe and hit refresh, and that's when I will get email. And it changed my life so much for the better. But then technology advanced yeah and we found more ways to notify me yep i think more will pop up Mm -hmm. no pun intended (laughs) no i don't feel like i gave very good practical advice i didn't either but you know i think the best thing you said was your story about sean where Mm -hmm. he basically drove the culture in your company of reducing interruptions and i think that on most developer teams, there's an opportunity to improve this and we should go to our managers or to the rest of our team and have this conversation and bring it to the forefront so that it's something that doesn't just sit in the background like that broken stair, you know, that everybody steps over and doesn't even realize they're doing it. Yep. There you go. Question answered. Question talked about. Okay. If you want more notifications, you should follow us on Twitter. That's and right. Then you could turn on mobile notifications for whenever we tweet. Is that a thing? Can you like get yeah. special? Oh, okay. Yeah, for for individual accounts, you can turn on mobile notifications. Yeah, if you've been if sitting just... here for the last twenty minutes, going, "What are all these notifications? I want these." Then we can give you approximately one per week. <laughs> yep, <laughs> which is the right number. <laughs> if you want to submit a question, you can go to our website at softskills.audio. Please keep them brief. We have been inundated with awesome questions. Many of them are too long to share on the air and it would take too long to summarize we'd love to see your questions but keep them brief maybe four or five sentences i don't know is that a good guideline jameson uh i'll send you a direct message later (laughs) tell you if it is or not yeah that's fine (laughs) i don't know four to five sentences it could be a lot of work to shorten it that much some of them are um like 50 sentences very long (laughs) yeah some of them are are like long blog post length and those are hard Yes. To get through. At yes. least put a TLDR if you want to do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then maybe we can go in and get more detail. There you go. But they are wonderful. Yeah. These questions are so great. Um, and we just love having them. So keep them coming. And thanks for listening.